0: So the Foreign Relations Committee will come to order. Uh, just uh, so people understand how we're proceeding today, we have a vote at 5.30. Uh, Senator Cardin wanted to make sure and that everyone had the opportunity to hear everyone's questions. And so in order to accommodate that gladly, um, at 5.30 we'll recess for 15 minutes and come back at 5.45 so everyone can go over and vote and be back so that everyone's able to hear what everyone else is uh this question. We thank you for being here, Mr. Secretary, again Uh, so promptly. uh, We appreciate that you've made time to appear before this committee twice in a week's time. Um, Passing an annual State Department authorization bill is one of the fundamental responsibilities of this committee and when when we shirk that responsibility and decline to exercise our oversight, we in essence surrender our authority to the executive branch and to other congressional committees and we failed to do the job our constituents sent us here to do. Restoring this annual practice was a top priority of mine when I became chairman, and I'm proud of the significant, significant progress we, have made, we made last year when the first authorization bill in 14 years became law, and I want to thank Senator Cardin and everybody on this committee for making that happen. However, because of previous inaction, there are programs at the department that have not been appropriately reviewed and analyzed in well over a decade. This lack of oversight results in uncertain policy goals, wasteful spending and a lack of transparency. This year's state authorization contains numerous important provisions that build upon last year's bill and exercising oversight of the State Department of bureaucracy and government programs that spend billions of dollars in taxpayer money. We also understand that this legislation is being crafted, uh, being crafted in, in the early stages of the department's plans for reorganization. And we expect that the reorganization will be a topic of a good bit of our conversation today. We're pleased that you have come before us to speak about the process underway to reorganize the department, and you being here as further evidence of the new administration's commitment to openness, to input, and to consultation with Congress. And I, again, appreciate the 45 minutes or so you spent with Ben and I last week before the hearing. Rather than being a hindrance to the secretary as he assesses the future structure of the department, I believe this authorization is a tool that will assist the administration in its work while also serving as a mechanism by which Congress can assist in improving how the department functions. Ranking Member Cardin and I and our respective staffs worked together successfully in the past two years to pass authorization bills out of committee and get a combination of those two bills signed into law. Again, I want to thank you, Senator Cardin, for your dedication and making sure this committee continues to fulfill its duty this year as well. I want to thank all of our members for their cooperation and important contributions in the process. Uh, we're here today to discuss the committee's draft authorization bill that we've shared with everyone, and we look forward to hearing your views. Thank you again, and I'll turn it over to our distinguished ranking member.
1: Well, thank you, Mr. Chairman, and Secretary Sullivan, thank you for returning to our committee. I guess we treated you well enough the last time you came back so soon. Um, It's always a pleasure to have you here. Uh, This is an extremely important hearing, the review of the State Department reauthorization bill uh, for FY18, as well as the State Department's reorganization plans. Uh, Chairman Corker has laid out what both of us feel very passionately about, and that is Congress has a responsibility to authorize the programs at the State Department, and it's the Senate Foreign Relations Committee is the committee that needs to do that work. You know, We watch what the Armed Services Committee does with the National Defense Authorization Act, which is a very important bill, and we recognize that a lot of issues that should come through this committee, we need to look at the NDA bill in order to try to get a vehicle to get those issues into, into statute. We should have our own uh, opportunity to do that, and under Chairman Corker's leadership, we were able to get a, an important bill done in the last Congress, and we look forward to your help uh, in uh, establishing that principle. So the draft legislation we're looking at it deals with the organization of the Department of State. It deals with embassy construction. It deals with personnel issues, diversity, information security, public diplomacy, anti-corruption, and other related issues. It's more ambitious than I would say the the bill we had the last time, uh, and it keeps building on what we believe is the appropriate role, but we do need your help. Now, it is complicated because there's a new administration and there's also a, a listening tour going on and a reorganization going on. So you have committed to us that we, the Congress, this committee will be a part of that consultation, as you look at the reorganization of the Department of State, how we handle the state authorization needs to be consistent with congressional input into the reorganization. So that presents an additional challenge. When we, at, when we had the, the hearing on the this year's TIP report, I went over the fact that there had been press reports that Consular Affairs and the Bureau of Population, Refugee, and Migration was being considered for transfer to Department of Homeland Security or or, or being abolished and raised serious questions as to whether that was advisable. We also know the discussion of whether USAID would maintain its quasi-independence. These are issues that obviously this committee has great interest and as we look at state authorization and reorganization, it's important that we understand how these issues are being contemplated. And then we have an area that has me greatly concerned and the reduction of the workforce by attrition. To me, that's a non-strategic way to reduce the numbers at the State Department based upon who retires and could very well compromise the ability of the State Department to carry out its mission. I'm not gonna labor the point. We all know about the budget and uh, that was submitted by the uh, Trump administration that would very seriously compromise the ability of the United States to maintain its global leadership uh, on diplomacy. But but I do mention there is, in that budget, the elimination of development assistance at USAID, the elimination of economic support and putting it into a a new category of of development assistance and economic support, but at 40 percent lower funds. As we are looking at authorization, it's important that we understand what's going on here because it doesn't seem to add up to what we think are important issues. And lastly, let me mention the area of diversity. Diversity is a matter that is critically important for the State Department to carry out its mission. If you don't have a diversified, talented workforce, it's virtually impossible for America to have maximum impact around all parts of the world. So we want to help you on that effort, but when we look at what happened with the Pinkering and and, and the uh, uh, Wrangell Fellows, that causes us some concern as to what is the commitment in the State Department to maintain that flow of talent uh, in a diversified workforce. So yes, we will deal with that in State Department authorization, but we would like to work with you to make sure that we, in fact, have that type of of talented workforce at the Department of State. Look forward to your uh, testimony and look forward to our discussions.
0: We'll now turn to the only confirmed person other than Secretary of State uh, to help structure the State Department. We're thankful that you're here and in the role that uh, you're you're playing on behalf of our nation and all of us, and we look forward to your testimony.
2: Thank you, uh, Mr. Chairman. Ranking Member Cardin and members of the committee for having me back today. Uh, We had a good discussion last week in this committee on the uh, department's annual tip report, uh, which we released last month, and we're grateful for your support and attention to this important issue and many other State Department matters. Uh, As I committed in my confirmation hearing, I am always at your disposal to come and talk about issues of mutual importance of the Department of State, and I'm grateful for this opportunity to engage with the committee both on the Draft Authorization Act and on our redesign effort. Uh, I certainly recognize and appreciate the committee's success last year in passing authorization legislation. In passing the bill, you sent a clear, unmistakable message that Congress is committed to American diplomacy and to the many patriots of the Department of State who work long hours, serve the American people, and advance our interests abroad. Thank you, members of the committee, for your commitment to the department and for your dedication to serving our mutual goal of serving and representing the people of the United States. We look forward to working with you on this year's authorization effort and appreciate the opportunity to engage, discuss, and coordinate with you throughout this process. From my initial review of the draft FY 2018 State Department Authorization Bill, it's clear that the committee and the department share share many of the same goals, advancing America's national security and economic interests, the judicious expenditure of resources, and the protection of our personnel and interests around the world. In the 21st century, the United States faces many evolving threats to our national security. As this committee knows well, the State Department, with a workforce of more than 75,000, must respond to these challenges with the necessary speed and appropriate resources. The nature of our work at the State Department demands flexibility and adaptability to an ever-changing world. We ask that the committee keep this in mind as you continue to evaluate proposals for the authorization bill. We also appreciate the great interest and support the committee has shown to the department's efforts to make our programs and organizations more efficient and effective. The cornerstone of this redesign effort has been the input and feedback received from the State Department's own employees. We recently completed a listening survey, which is made available to every one of our State Department and USAID colleagues. The response was outstanding and well received. Over 35,000 employees completed the survey, and hundreds took part in face-to-face follow-up interviews. Now that we have that initial feedback and have posted the results of the survey, the Secretary has asked me to lead phase two of the redesign efforts, which began last week. I share the Secretary's approach to making our department more efficient and effective without preconceived ideas about the final result. Phase two, includes a steering committee that provides oversight and working groups to address the main themes that came out of the listening tour. First, foreign assistance. Second, overseas alignment and approach. Third, human capital planning. Fourth, IT platforms. And fifth, management support. We've created an online portal so that every employee can continue to provide input throughout this process. To ensure a thorough and comprehensive review, we are drawing upon the expertise of every bureau in the department with participation from Washington and posts overseas. This redesign effort is part of a larger agency review as directed by by the president. To meet the president's goals, we expect our review to be completed and reports submitted by September 15th. We welcome your input as we move forward and know that your and please know that your feedback will be integral to making the Secretary's organizational redesign a success. Thank you again for the opportunity to discuss the State Department authorization bill. We look forward to working with you and your staff so that Congress can exercise its oversight role and the State Department can carry out its mission to serve American interests abroad. I look forward to answering any questions you may have.
0: Thank you very much. I'll defer to the ranking member and withhold my time for interjections.
1: Again, Secretary Sullivan, thank you so much uh, for your willingness to take on these responsibilities. I want to talk about an area that's gotten a lot of attention in this committee, and that's special envoys. The chairman has properly pointed out that they continue to grow and grow and grow. Uh, These are not confirmed positions, and therefore they gain a lot of power at times uh, where a confirmed person uh, uh, should have personal responsibility. Uh, So... I don't know exactly how we're going to handle this one, because there's a lot of of support within Congress for particular envoys, and uh, we don't want to diminish the importance of the particular area in which we have a special envoy, and therefore if we eliminate, the concern is that Congress is deterring the priority. On the other hand, I would like to know what your priorities are. Where do you think we should be looking at the special envoys? What, where are you looking at not filling envoys or suggesting perhaps even new envoys? And is it important to have those positions confirmed by the United States Senate or not? So can you just share with us your thoughts on how you would like to see the Congress working, the Senate working with you, on the special envoys
2: certainly well uh, I think Senator you've hit the nail on the head the the uh, the topic of special envoys it really depends on the issue we're talking about the office that we're talking about we have I think approximately seventy some of those uh, offices were created to address serious issues which over time have diminished in significance or importance others whether it's global women's issues, fighting anti-Semitism are enduring issues that are of extreme importance to us not only in the State Department but as Americans. so it really depends on the office we're talking about. some of the th- some of the uh, the interests that will guide us are making sure that the office uh, if the if the office is to remain uh, uh, functioning, uh, is that it's linked to resources at the department, for example, a bureau, that uh, it may be isolated from if it is a special envoy who reports only to the secretary. So all of these special envoys are subject to our our redesign review that is... uh,
1: Even uh, those that are congressionally authorized by Congress?
2: I'm sorry, go ahead.
1: I was going to say, are you considering not filling positions that Congress specifically has uh, provided by statutory authority?
2: We are looking at all of them. For those that, and and will consult with you and this committee and others on each of them, any, any uh, office that you, uh, I know Senator Shaheen and I spoke about women's issues. Uh, any office that has uh, continuing interest uh, by members of this committee, we will consult with you before we take
1: it. And in. I want to give the administration maximum flexibility. But where Congress has said that this area, whether it's gender issues or tolerance or um, the rights of minority communities, where we have specified by statute certain authority, it seems to me that we're the policy arm, that those are areas where you really don't have discretion and should be filling. And if we're going to try to work together on this, I, mean, I- I don't know. I'm open on this because I agree with the chairman. We have too many special envoys. On the other hand, there are areas that I want to have special attention where I don't think you get it unless there's a point person within the State Department to deal with it, and I don't have that comfort level as to how we're going to resolve this.
0: If I could, just to put it in, in um, perspective, I think there are 68 envoys. Seven are permissive. In other words, we legislated permissive language to create an envoy. Eleven are mandated, so the vast majority uh, of these are just just made up, and uh, in, in many cases, there are large staffs that go with that. Is that
1: correct? That's true. So anyway, just what what is permissive? I didn't know. Uh, just
2: uh, should instead of shall.
0: Well, or, or or may 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 instead of shall. It's just like we do sometimes on sanctions, may instead of shall, so there's really only eleven as i that are
1: mandated. Uh, I, I may challenge whether may and shall I've, we've gone through this debate many times, whether it's directive or whether it's mandatory. Uh, I'm not comfortable, and I, I would like to know how we are going to how the legis- how the United States Senate is going to be able to weigh in, if we're the authorizing committee, if, this, if the Congress is, is the authorizing body and we want to pay special attention and we think the best way is by special envoy, do we have to pass a statute to do that? Uh, or are we looking at ways that we have input? So if, if you follow the traditions of, of other administrations, yes, we tell you eight and then you get 70 on your own, I'm not sure that's the right way to go. Uh, On the other hand, should we require that the Senate sign off on every one of them by advice and consent? We could do that. We're already backlogged on your filling positions that will just add another, I don't know, 20, 30 more confirmations to have to get through. I, I, I just think this is a cumbersome process, and it's tough for us to figure out how to do it unless we know that there is... An open process that I mean I think there's tremendous interest on in women 's issues you say that that 's one, but there are other areas that members have pretty strong views, and I know in the United States Senate one senator t- sometimes can dictate what happens around here so if if, if a senator gets difficult, are we going then going to have a special envoy i I, Mr. Chairman, I just yeah. think we have to have some orderly process in which we're going to be dealing with these uh, special envoys.
0: And my sense is that uh, uh, Secretary Sullivan agrees with that and is more than glad to have a conversation about that. Mr.
3: Chair, I have a procedural question. Yes, sir. Uh, since there is a vote at 5.30, <laughs> how does the Chair intend to proceed with the hearing?
0: We are going to adjourn at 5.30 and we're going to come back at 5.45. Thank you. Any other procedural questions? Uh, Secretary, I mean, Senator Young. Chairman, I have some if you want some.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Chairman. Uh, Thank you, Mr. Sullivan. Um, So just on the issue of special envoys, this is precisely why we need to look at the entire organization so that we're not doing an end run around our regional bureaus our functional bureaus and, and so forth uh, but it would be helpful i agree uh with folks on both sides of the aisle that we need to uh, at least over a period of time establish some operating principles and inform us when a special envoy will be appointed when one won't one possibility is that we we are notified and that special envoy will continue to exist unless we affirmatively indicate after, you know, 60 days or whatever that that special envoy was, was inappropriately, from our perspective, uh, put in place. Um, I'd like to pivot uh, to uh, the proposed uh, merger, at least circulating in some circles, the contemplative merger of USAID and the State Department. CSIS uh, recently published some what I thought was really instructive and thoughtful analysis of the merger of USIA, United States Information Agency, and the State Department in 1999 and why that went awry. And um, I'd like to just read some excerpts from that. The origins uh, of that merger, uh, I became aware, were Vice President Al Gore's reinventing government blueprint, The plan was to fold USAID and USIA and the Arms Control and Disarmament Agency into state. Now, ACDA, the Arms Control uh, Agency, was was happy to merge because they are primarily diplomatic in what they do. But USAID and USIA resisted that. A deal was cut, as so often happens up here, and and so Here's what happened. And oh, by the way, the, the Heritage Foundation, which is currently advocating for a, consider, for a consolidation of state and USAID, uh, has called this USIA merger misguided. Uh, and and uh, some of their scholars have written about how poorly it went. So one reason for the failed integration of the agencies stemmed from the vastly different missions and cultures of the two organizations. I would argue that this is something we should consider here. Um, State and USIA's budget functions were also merged, but public diplomacy was and and is seen as a secondary or tertiary function of the State Department. That created problems as well. And lastly, the consolidation, uh, we now know, was short-sighted. Soon thereafter, we had 9-11. The global war on terror is a global war of ideas, Uh, gives us some sense of how consequential getting it wrong can be. So um, I would just commend that uh, very brief article uh, to your attention, to others' attention as, as we consider that. Next, I want to thank you. Um, you caught me out in the hall. You, uh, you have the best follow-up of, uh, of any political appointee in, in my recent memory. Um, you caught me out in the hall after our last hearing and, and, and asked me if I had any additional questions or concerns pertaining to a general accountability office uh, question I asked you. And then we got into um, uh, a conversation about a task force that Senator Shaheen and I have been working on uh, related to USAID and its reorganization. Uh, I indicated to you that Secretary Tillerson uh, had, had promised to sit down with members of that task force, Senator Shaheen and myself, to uh, discuss some of our ideas. Uh, and uh, uh, you offered your encouragement. So uh, thank you for that. Lastly, um, I I think it's important for this committee to understand, Secretary Sullivan, the timeline we're dealing with here. And In your prepared statement, you write that you expect to complete the reorganization report by September 15. Um, I don't believe you've spoken to this yet, but will this committee receive a copy of that report, and if so, when?
2: Uh, thank you, Senator. Not only uh, will you receive uh, the final work product, but uh, will be, my plan is that we will be consulting regularly. I and others, including the secretary, will be consulting regularly between now and then, so that uh, your views inform the final uh, report.
4: So, uh, when would you anticipate the next? Because I, you know, is, uh, I haven't been apprised of any previous consultations sure. to, to my recollection so um, is that something you could send to each office here each member of the committee uh, S- your updates
2: uh, certainly I'd be yeah. be delighted yeah. to we we I started last week uh, as the chairman mentioned I had a uh, a conversation before the hearing last week with the chairman and the ranking member on this and I told them then uh, and I will tell all the members of the committee now that that is just first step in our consultation with you. This is the next step, and we will uh, make sure that you and all the members of the committee are aware going forward of opportunities for us to solicit your input and also to provide you updates on how we're proceeding.
4: Lastly, uh, can you assure me that uh, you won't begin implementation of this uh, proposed plan uh, until each member of the committee has been fully briefed
0: on it, sir? Absolutely. All right. Thank you. thank you. Thank you. Senator Coons. Um,
3: thank you, uh, Chairman Corker, Ranking Member Cardin, uh, for holding this important hearing and for all the work that you and your staff have done uh, on this uh, FY 2018 uh, State Authorization Bill. I continue to believe it is very important uh, for this committee to go through this process annually, and I appreciate the improvements to the process this year. I'm pleased uh, the bill includes three of my proposals to help State Department personnel Uh, And I hope we can agree to provide greater flexibility to allow separated family members of Foreign Service officers to travel to see each other and family members, and I look forward to authorizing science and technology fellowships uh, to encourage innovation at the Department. Uh, While I support this committee process, I also want to be clear um, that I do not view this bill as somehow granting congressional approval of the Trump administration's reorganization or funding plans for the Department and USAID. And I appreciate the line of questioning by Senator Young Um, to that effect. I continue to be concerned about the lack of clarity surrounding the reorganization process and hiring freeze. Appreciate what we've heard so far today, but look for more. Um, And, of course, I think I oppose the steep budget cuts to diplomacy and development proposed in the administration's FY18 budget request. Uh, I am pleased that this bill includes a mechanism by which Congress can review reorganization. Um, and I wanted to move forward. So Deputy Secretary Sullivan, thank you for your willingness to testify and to respond to our concerns. Foreign service officers, their families, and uh, the whole community of employees of the State Department and USAID uh, make enormous sacrifices to serve our country. Their work is critical to our national security and to advancing U.S. interests around the globe. Uh, As a member of the Senate's Friends of the Foreign Service Caucus, uh, I believe we can and should do more uh, to recognize their work and address the challenges they face. And I look forward to taking that on with you. Um, let me just mention uh, in April, I traveled with Chairman Corker to the BDBD refugee camp in northern Uganda uh, to draw attention to the impacts of uh, conflict and man made famine in South Sudan. I then went on to Juba, had an opportunity to spend time with the Foreign Service officers at Embassy Juba, which is an unaccompanied post. Uh, I'm concerned that they face unnecessary hardships, uh, and I'd be interested, Mr. Deputy Secretary, in whether you are working to improve the conditions of course, at Embassy Juba, but also at many other unaccompanied posts around the world. Uh, And I'm interested in whether you would consider uh, renewing or extending uh, the South Sudan-Sudan envoy position, um, one of the 70-some that I see some value in, given the famine, the conflict, and the regional context.
2: Sure. Well... uh... The, the welfare of our men and women who serve abroad, both Foreign Service and Civil Service, uh, is our highest priority. The Secretary, every staff meeting we have, begins with a question, and that is, are our people okay abroad? It's his highest priority, it's my highest priority. To address the issues that you've raised, we have included in our redesign effort both, the, the redesign consists of an executive steering committee, of which I chair. And then the five working groups that that I described, among them, uh, the uh, would uh, the working groups would address all of the issues you raised about conditions uh, abroad, allowances, you know, the treatment of our foreign service officers, the support that we provide to them. Um, the most significant aspect of this um, this redesign is this is all of the input is coming from are career foreign service and civil service officers. Mm-hmm. All of the working groups, More than there's only, there are very few uh, non-career participants. Uh, in fact, for the working groups, there's only one non-career participant. All the other members are either from state or from AID with uh, proportional representation between state and AID, foreign service, civil service, uh, stationed in Washington or abroad, and at different levels of seniority. So we've tried to cover the whole gamut of the the department and AID, so that those issues you raised will be raised by the people who are most affected by them.
3: Let me ask, if I might, two more quick questions. I understand you may not have the full time to answer them. I'll submit them for the record if that's the case, because we're going to adjourn in just a moment. Um, First, um, I understand one of the bureaus or offices you're considering closing is the Office of Iran Nuclear Implementation. Uh, and folding it into the Bureau of Eastern Affairs, Ambassador Stephen Mull, someone who this committee got to know well is no longer serving